Welcome to the Art of Coaching Podcast, a show aimed at getting to the core of what it takes to change attitudes, behaviors, and outcomes in the weight room, boardroom, classroom, and everywhere in between. I'm your host, Brett Bartholomew. I'm a performance coach, keynote speaker, and the author of the book, Conscious Coaching. But most importantly, I'm a lifelong student interested in all aspects of human behavior and communication. I want to thank you for joining me. And now let's dive into today's episode. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Art of Coaching Podcast. I'm here with my friend, Jenna Gatsis. Jenna, what is up? Hello, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, thanks for making the time. Jenna, you have a truly unique background. I mean, I... There's a lot to go into here and you fill multiple roles, like many of our guests, not somebody who is one dimensional. Would you mind giving everybody a little bit about your background? And then we're going to dive into the main theme of this episode because you have a really unique story to tell and I think it's going to help a lot of people, but tell us a little bit more about you. Definitely. So, you know, wanting to learn about the human body, I just tried to dive into whatever I could related to fitness and the mind and just the human uh, in general. So I've... Um, as far as education, I've done exercise science, massage. I was a physical therapy tech, I have strength and conditioning. Um, I, I'm a doctor of physical therapy, dry needle certified. I pretty much do whatever I can to learn more about the, the human body in any situation, whether it's, you know, the ICU and the, the burn and trauma center or, you know, a professional athlete. That's perfect. And Jenna, when you, just to give the audience context, guys, I first met Jenna at a NASCAR event. And this is something that I think is super cool. We haven't had a guest on the show yet that has been in this space and it's really still a new and evolving space. And Jenna, Jenna helped uh, pioneer that. Jenna was involved with Joe Gibbs racing. And this was during a time where Joe Gibbs, uh, a NASCAR leader was putting in a state of the art sports medicine room that Jenna really oversaw. Jenna, what was that like being a part of that? And how the hell did you get involved with NASCAR to begin with? (laughs) Yeah, I know. It was amazing actually. So they never had a full-time PT or strength coach. They kind of, you know, they used people from in the area, like the hospitals would, um, would lend out a PT or a strength coach. So I was the first because Joe Gibbs Racing has six teams underneath them. And then I was also in charge. They have three motocross teams. So it was just basically me <laughs> by myself, no assistant. But uh, it was really cool because they're not used to having that kind of science in such an archaic type of sport. <laughs> so I brought a lot of new things. And I, I actually put in the whole PT and strength and conditioning facility from subfloor and everything. But uh, my reputation for helping people before school uh, led me to meet the athletic director and he let me come to a race in Richmond and I worked on a bunch of the drivers and a lot of the pit crew and they raved about it. So they actually asked me to quit school and I said, no, absolutely not. <laughs> I'm like, if I'm that good, you'll wait for me to graduate. Right. And like, but with that, like just because some of our guests and people listening, I mean, you just said there was an athletic director for NASCAR, right? Like let's, let's go back for a minute. Right. When did this all happen? You know, and, and again, you and I reside a little bit more in this world, but for somebody not familiar with performance, when did NASCAR all of a sudden, like, why, why is, why are people that are racing cars athletes? Why do they need an athletic director? Why do they, why do they even need this stuff to begin with? Right. Well, they're actually, they're trying to be smarter about the sport. So, you know, some of the guys I'm fighting, you know, them doing dip while we're training and some of the guys are ex NFL players. So, you know, they're trying to be smarter about it every 10th of a second counts. 
So when these guys are changing the tires, they'll change all four tires in under 10 seconds, you know, and if a stronger, uh, faster guy can, can outbeat another picture guy, then they're going to try to get those advantages anywhere they can. So when they brought me in, it was to basically do whatever I could with the science. You know, I was traveling with these guys every weekend. We have our own planes. I still work with a lot of them, but um, we had our own planes. So I got to manipulate any variables I could and they want to be better. So, you know, you're sitting here taking an old school sport and trying to, you know, go from good old boys to, you know, smart elite athletes. So you're not even just talking about the drivers, you're talking about the pit crew. And again, I'm trying to make sure that we provide clarity for everybody. Cause I remember I spent a day with you and watching that. And as somebody, you know, I didn't grow up a NASCAR fan. That's, that's nothing against that. Right. I, it just wasn't my upbringing. I didn't but, <laughs> yeah. But seeing that I'm watching and I remember you telling me, you're like, uh, yeah, the pit crew, this and that. I'm like, nah, bullshit. Like, let me see this. And then I watch these guys in action in like more in-depth action, not just what you see on TV, and you're right. Those guys have to, like, they have to perform some incredible feats. What were the distinctions that you saw between things that you had to work on for members of the pit crew versus the drivers themselves? And to be clear, I'm talking about what were some environmental um, stressors they had to deal with, uh, the physical stressors. What were the, the unique things between them that the average listener may have no idea or context about? So, I mean, you were down in the pits with me. You see how it is. It's it's extreme. You know, cars are flipping around you. <laughs> you know, everyone's crashing. We've had uh, cars drive by and hit lug nuts and the lug nut will actually shoot up and hit someone in the face. I've had to take people to the hospital for shattered eye sockets. So, you know, some of my guys have gotten lit on fire, <laughs> some of the pit crews, because, you know, the, the cars, they're just trying to win. So whatever they can do, if, you know, the car crashes and it comes in and it lights on fire, and, you know, or they're trying to bang outside part of the, the car because it crashed into the wall. There's so many different variables for the pit crew. And then the driver, I mean, you can't really control anything because you can crash at any time, depending on how another car hits them. So keeping their body prepared and keeping their stabilization on point and their coordination uh, on point, that's how they're going to stay the healthiest. Because if you just, you know, go sloppy, then that crash is going to affect the body that much more. So, you know, the, the overuse with the pit crew is the most important thing that I tried to, you know, contain. But, you know, you, again, the random variables all over the place and even in the, on the airplane, you know, you, the environment that they're in, it changes and is, is extreme at all times. Yeah. I remember, uh, you know, and I, I almost got sidetracked with what you said there. I'm sorry. This is guys, this is what you get when Jenna and I do an interview together. Both of us can get really serious about our craft, but I can't. So when she said lug nut, here's a random fact about me, not to make this about me, but for right now to make it about <laughs> me. One of my favorite movies is Saving Silverman. And I'll never forget the part where the guy at Judith wanted to sit down in that chair that Jack Black had spilled his nachos on. It wouldn't recline. His friend fixes it and goes, got it. It was the lug nut. So I apologize. I almost lost it when he said lug nut, just a call back there. Um, no, but you're right. Like being able to see that. And I think the environmental stressors and it goes hand in hand with kind of what we talk about on this podcast and that whether it's the weight room, the boardroom, anything stress is cumulative. And I think people get caught yep. up in seeing like, Oh, NFL players or rugby players. And they think the physicality of that, but they don't understand the different domains where those stressors also occur. I mean, when it even came to recovery for these guys, how long did these events last, the NASCAR events, and then their travel? What were some other compounding factors, Jenna, that made it even more difficult for you to do their job and them to stay at peak performance? 
Well, a lot of them, you know, they're, they're still new to the, you know, athletic arena. So I had to convince a lot of guys. I was working with a lot of egos and um, even higher above me, you know, the egos, it's just, it's a different sport, you know, they're not very scientific. So having to, you know, that's where I come in and I do my job and I educate them. So it's important for me to establish dominance and to show them, I know what I'm talking about through the results that I'm, I'm showing them, you know, so that was, that was important. And that was my number one goal at all times. But, um, uh, you totally throw me off now. No, Go you're ahead. fine. We're, ta- we're talking about just the compounding stressors. The fact that, I mean, when I met, oh, yeah, when I saw, we were out there all definitely. day and then they sleep in, in these different trailers and they have to, you know, what the travel schedule. I remember, you know, when I would try to catch up with you, you were in a different state all the time. And we often hear about every weekend, every weekend. That's what I was going to ask. Cause you know, we'll have rugby teams and baseball teams and basketball that their travel schedule is intense, but you guys go every weekend. And did, was there really an off season in NASCAR ever? No. So it's actually the longest season in pro sports. And uh, the only off months were December and January. So every other weekend besides two other weeks of the year, it's you're traveling somewhere else. So like I said, we had our own planes, wake up five in the morning, you get on the plane and then you go. The races sometimes would last seven, eight hours. So if there's crashes or if it's raining, you get away for the track to dry. Like it's intense. And so the guys, yeah, they would go and sleep in the haulers above like where they where they store the cars on the haulers but then you know if a race gets rained out it's not like they cancel it right away you were there during a rain out you know we got to entertain ourselves we found sticky hands or hitting people (laughs) you know so you're there all day and they don't cancel it right away so then if it rains out you just wasted the whole day you're there dragging eating bad food you know your body's probably not prepared to do anything and then the next day you go back and do the same thing yeah there's a there's a lot of uh uh, issues there that again well, you mentioned the food and everything else real quick to go back just to make sure everybody's on the same page and I wouldn't have known what the term meant had I not been there with you that day could you describe what a holler is you mentioned they sleep in the hollers they spend time in that could you describe that environment for our audience yeah so we travel the team travels on the airplane but in order for the cars to get there the truck driver takes you know there's a truck for each car and for each team and they bring two cars so we need a backup car just in case the one doesn't uh, go through inspection or something's wrong and then they drive wherever the race is so it's a pretty huge huge truck and there once everything's out of it we have the barbecue in there so there's food there's supplies for the car all the tech stuff's in there the engineers sit in there during the race and they they adjust all the stuff with the cars so it's it's really cool it's like a one-stop shop for you know a travel racer and I imagine being a part of that rehaul or overhaul, so to speak, you know, in terms of them providing new facilities and new kinds of support. I mean, for you, somebody that's a doctor of physical therapy, licensed massage therapist, strength and conditioning coach, you had to kind of see the business end of things as well, right? Because you saw all the the things that went into getting the facility approved and, and how were you going to sell this to the guys? Because I'm sure, I, I have to imagine there were some people that were not bought in, either in the organization on the pit crew or the drivers right or was everybody bought in oh everybody, definitely yeah there was frick uh not well no you know how it is with pro athletes they know everything and you know nothing <laughs> yeah. so i mean i grew up with all brothers that's how i'm able to to project my dominance and i have to like i said once you're educated you have to learn how to get that education across otherwise your education doesn't mean shit you know so you have to be able to communicate to your athlete so I read people very well. And I just remember the first time I was telling them a workout or showing them what they were going to do. You know, the one guy was like, you do it. 
I was like, well, first of all, I don't live bitch weight, so I'm going to go get the real weight I would lift, and then I'll come back and do it. And I did, and I lived really heavy, so, like, it was actually, like, extreme. And he's like, all right, I'll do it. I'm sorry. I'm like, yeah. I, I, no, I, <laughs> so love, I was like, moment of truth. <laughs> sometimes that takes that, and I'm glad you, you, use great termino- you use great terminology there, Jenna, when you said I have to project my dominance. And this is something that I think is important to talk about, especially in the era that we're in. One thing that I've always appreciated about you is you are a strong woman and you do not try to downplay yourself, your confidence and your abilities, but you also do it in such like a morally virtuous way. Like you don't apologize for yourself. And I think that there, right, there's a line. We all know people that don't apologize for themselves and they're assholes and you know, they're really, they're really vain, but I feel like you've always found this balance and and I'll admit it caught me off guard at first. Cause when we first met, I, you know, I followed you on Instagram and you are, as you are on this podcast, you're very eloquent, you're very professional. And then I saw, you know, some of the photos you posted of athletic feats and this and that, but also some more ones that were more modeling based. And, but they were all always done tasteful. They were you expressing different areas of your life and you refusing to be defined as only one thing. Can you talk about how just not being apologetic about who you are and being strong in your morals and values has served you well, even when things have gotten tough or people try to make you feel insecure about it? Yeah. I mean, that happens almost every day. You know, it's uh, everyone's watching these things on TV and just, you know, you're just, you're tested every single day. And I grew up with strong morals and values and it's, it's gotten me so far and it's, it's rare to keep it. And it's really sad, but that's, um, it's helped me through pretty, pretty much every part of my career. Um, I don't know. I just, I never sacrificed my morals. I never sacrificed my values. And I just try to lead with a good heart. And I don't, I know the work I put in. And so that's how I can carry my head high. You know, I know the work I put in. And if I don't know something, cause no one knows everything, you know, and especially like in the NASCAR world, it was, you know, just like the buy-in, like we were talking about some of the coaches, like with, with Joe Gibbs, son, you know, the one son, he had two sons. And when the one son took over, he was more old school. So I had to convince him and he brought in these old school NFL coaches and they were like, if you're not strong, you can't be fast. And I'm like, I was like, do what is you this, know Ray, anything? Ricky Bobby, and if you're was, not first, you're last. Yeah, that's what I said. I swear to God, we were in a boardroom. And I was like, what are we, Ricky Bobby? I'm like, I'm like this is science here. And I said a few words about coordination and, and uh, injury prevention. And he's like, sweetie, nobody knows what you're talking about. And I was like, I talked about research, like randomized control trials. And he's like, no one knows what you're talking about. I'm like, that's why you shouldn't be giving a speech right now. Like, I don't, I don't go off opinion. I go off research and science like so again like trying to get that buy-in but I never it was hard for me to project that dominance in that situation but I never sacrificed my morals because I knew the research that I put in and the the you know all the clients that I've had that I've helped so I wouldn't back down to someone that's just archaic and what they do so I don't know like keeping let me let me push back on that for a minute like you know research can be wrong sometimes you know, so like, yeah, what, definitely. what else do you lean on? Because I hear you say, you know, the research and you're obviously super well read and this is something we share. We have to be evidence-based, you know, even if that evidence right. proves to be, you know, wrong or, or not a full picture, you know, but where, where do you draw that line in that? Because, you know, that doesn't always get you far if you're like, Hey, well, the research says, well, the research says after a while that can backfire. Well, no. And 
you know this too. Like research is always wrong. That's why, like as fitness professionals, we have to stay up to date with things. But staying up to date and using research is also the research we see every single day. You know, all the clients that we train and we, you know, we're using and looking at the body like a, a human, and you're controlling all these physiological variables. So that is research in itself. I remember people used to tell me in school, like, "Oh, there's no research on massage." I'm freaking changing lives every day with touch and with training the coordinate of the brain and the coordination of, you know, someone's movement. And, you know, there's not a lot of research on that. And I'm like, you know what, go ahead and wait for that article to come out, but I'm going to be helping these people over here, you know? So like our research is our clinical experience too. We had that base of the scientific evidence of what we know is true in the foundation, but as a coach, everything is changing and every person is different and every training session should be individualized because you know your people, you know, but yeah, you have to go into your research too. You know, you've worked with athletes, their environment, like you have a lot more insight than most people would. So research is not only the, the paper, it's, it's you in your craft. And if you know, you, you are basically good at your trade and you put in the work then you can tra- you can change those variables and know, know you can stand behind that because of the research you put in as a coach as far as your experience. A hundred percent. And I want to shift gears with that in a moment uh, because you, you mentioned some things along this and on, you know, we're recording this just for the audience. Like uh, it's September 25th, 2019, although this won't release until later this year, or early 2020. But today I had posted something and this is another thing we have in common and it leads into your adventure, which I think the listeners will find fascinating. I just talked about how all of our lessons, it's funny, all the lessons we learn within this craft transcend, you know, strength and conditioning and performance. It's always about people in some way, shape or form. And I know personally, I'm very proud to have my background be in strength and conditioning, but I no longer really define myself solely as a strength coach. That's just not, that's not the only world I want to live in. I like helping in different avenues. And you do that too. You know, you, you've moved cross country to California after your chapter with NASCAR, Jenna. Now you're working with celebrities and I'll let you disclose the names if you want, because I don't want to, you know, it's privacy. You worked with geriatric populations, but you're also expanding into different realms of your own quote unquote brand and business and future as well. Can you, can you give the listeners a little bit insight onto that journey and, and how these lessons have carried forward? Yeah, so going into anything that we do, looking at the body like a human body, I'm just basically refining people's skills within their craft. So I moved across the country. You know, I did the NASCAR thing. I still have a house out there, and I still work with a lot of the drivers. I actually just went to the race last week and worked with Denny Hamlin um, in Vegas. But uh, it's kind of crazy to still work with them. But I wanted to branch out on my own, you know, me being in charge of the strength and conditioning and the PT with six teams and three motocross teams. Like it was a lot. So I, I moved across the country. I always had my own LLC and uh, I had some uh, CEOs that needed help. And, you know, everything I do is the, is the same thing. It's just taking the, the person and adjusting their environment. So, you know, the CEO his you know, it's not, it's not a football field I'm working with. It's, it's you know, a private jet where he's sitting all day long or, you know, something like that. But I'm just refining the human body within a different environment. So, I mean, I love that. I've worked with uh, degenerative brain diseases. I've worked, you know, burn trauma wounds and Alzheimer's, like anything where I have to study the human body even more and look into depth on how it functions and how it reacts in different situations. But uh, now, I mean, yes, I'm working with, you know, the extreme, but I'm also working with professional athletes. 
I work with a lot of professional boxers um, at uh, Peter Berg's gym. He creates all Mark Wahlberg's movies, but uh, at a church, he has a gym, a boxing gym in Santa Monica, California. So I'm working with a lot of professional athletes out of there and celebrities. But um, yes, whether they're celebrity or not, I look at them as a, a human being and I try to just refine their movement and their, the way, their way of thinking. Mindset is huge too. And just making them better in everything they do, yeah. not just their skill. I, I educate them so their whole life is better. No, and that's why I wanted to bring that up. I mean, it's not, it's, this isn't for humble brag reasons or anything like that. The, the psychology of this is what I'm interested in. And you mentioned very briefly, <coughs> excuse me, Peter Berg. And to give everybody, you know, a, an idea, Peter Berg's an actor, director, writer, producer, done a ton of different movies, done a ton, like big power player in Hollywood. And, you know, again, this just goes into, this is an individual that has countless people working for him, as did Mark Wahlberg, as does Mark Wahlberg, as does everybody else. Jenna, please, and this is the main question here, how did you get them to view you as an authority in an honest way as opposed to just another minion that works for them? Because that's all these people know, right? Yeah. They're, they're in really powerful positions. How did you assert yourself right. in an ethical and responsible way to where they're like, Oh, that, that's not just Jenna, the chick that makes me feel better and gets my body, this and that. That's, oh no, I, I value Jenna's opinion. How did you approach that? Right. It's, it's the results. And I think the confidence in what I say, because a lot of people have their own way of doing things or they've been working with this guy, they've been working for 20 years and he knows everything. So it's like, it's basically trying not to step on toes, but trying to get your message across. And then my results. You know, when I work with people, I educate them and I tell them what I'm doing. I make them understand so they can be involved in it because part of their take home stuff and their home exercise program is, you know, refining what they do at home because they need to get on board with it. And then showing them, I know what I'm talking about through the results. You know, I remember the one time Pete, Pete Berg tried to tell me something about, I was telling him about diaphragmatic breathing and he's like, Oh no, it's like this. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> you know, instead of being a yes man, they're so used to all these yes men all over the place, you know, that just say yes, because they're, they're too cowardly to just say what the truth is or say what they really feel. You know, I'm not like that. I'm not trying to please anyone. I'm not trying to be anyone's friend. I mean, I like being people's friends, <laughs> but I'm here to do my job. And when I, when I know something, I will, I will, I will stay behind it. Right. You're like, 100%. you're like, Hey Peter, uh, if I need to know what a dolly grip is, I'll defer to you, but please don't tell me <laughs> about diaphragmatic breathing, but let's talk about that just to dive deeper. You talked about, <laughs> you talked about conveying your message and getting your point across. What is the skill? Uh, what do you consider to kind of be the skill of, um, how do I want to phrase this? The, the skill of, well, let's just keep it what it is. The skill of getting your message across. Do you have kind of some key, think about it as programming, Jenna, right? We know how to uh, achieve elements of hypertrophy and maximum strength and what have you. What is it about the skill of explaining that you think oftentimes either you in the past failed at or you've seen others fail at? What, what is that dichotomy where if you explain things in blank way, people will tend to listen uh, compared to if you do it in this way? Just to give some more context, talk about us. Talk about your strategy. Simple, <laughs> simple. So I try to break things down. Like I, I swear a lot. I'm very basic with how I talk. I mean, I've looked at people and I've said things and I've seen deer and headlight looks so many times that I'm like, you don't get what I'm saying. Because, but everyone's different, and you know, every single athlete or or session or patient 
is like a different psychological mind game. So you have to, you have to break it down to where it's so simple, you know, and I put it in a way to where people are like, Oh my gosh, I totally get that. And I'm like, there you go. You know, when I hear these people, I used to have this uh, physician's assistant that would use all these big words. And, you know, the person's like, oh, my God, my leg's falling off. You know, you, people don't even understand what you're saying. Like, it's not about you. It's not about your ego and stroking yourself to where you're like, hey, I know lots of big words. Cool. Again, it's about the person and what they're trying to get out of it. So if you can't break it down so that they understand you're not doing your job. You're just trying to make yourself feel cool. Yeah. You're not. And I can, appreciate, <laughs> I can appreciate that. But where, where do you strike the balance between, you know, there has to be some element of self-disclosure when you're building trust with people, right? Like it can't be, right. it can't be what's called a, I, I talk about it in my book as a parasocial relationship. That's if I know everything about you, Jenna, and you know, almost nothing about me. So, you know, obviously you have to let these people in to a degree um, where, right. how do you manage that? And then how do you also walk that line between them knowing you, but you also being able to keep your private life, your private life? I'm very transparent when it comes to my athletes. I'm, I like using my, or my, anything, my patients, athletes, I like using my flaws to help people because people put people on pedestals and they're like, Oh, well, you know, everyone thinks, Oh, you were born with abs. Yeah. I was born with abs. Like I wasn't always in shape, you know? So when, when you look at someone, you, you just classify them as, oh, they've always been like that, or, oh, they've always had it easy, or, oh, they've, you know, oh, she looks good, so, you know, things come easy to her. People are like, oh, you're so lucky. What the hell do you mean? I've had three jobs my whole life. You know, I've put time in. Like, I've done so many things for free just to volunteer, to get experience, and to network. So, I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I don't understand that. I feel like you put in and you get what you want out of life. And people need to stop classifying other people. And I don't know. I try to relate to people in that sense. If I see that they're blocking out learning because they're like, oh, no, she does it because of that. You know, you're just trying to rationalize it because you're scared of doing it because it's something new. So I, I try to basically chip off the layers with people so that they understand their actions and why they're doing things so that I can break down their ego enough for me to get my message across yeah. and I, I try to be professional but sometimes you, you have to be funny sometimes you have to be witty you know some of my guys you have to be mean to them you know my one guy would tell me something he's like no 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 it's, it's like this this is what's wrong I was like wow I'm like maybe next time I won't even go to grad school I'll just give you my tuition you know <laughs> you're just it's invaluable what you say <laughs> like I'm I, like that doesn't even happen in the human body <laughs> I'm like shut up. As you guys can tell, so, I mean, <laughs> Jenna is a master shit talker. What's let's not downplay that. That has a role. That does, <laughs> you know, that's something that people don't give credence to. Talking shit and giving guys, I mean anybody that's been in a locker room or anybody that's been at the water cooler, <laughs> right? That but you do you do a good job with that. You're like you you have that jargon. Was that something that you were just born with? Or did you have a brother that kind of pushed you around? Did, where, where did you learn how to talk? I, I grew where, up with brothers. I was going to say where did you learn? Cuz you're kind of a dude. Brothers. <laughs> you grew up with brothers? Yeah, I'm, I'm 100% Greek, so I have a lot of family and a lot of uh, male cousins, and I have brothers, and I would hunt and fish. I grew up hunting, fishing, like just hanging with the guys. So I, that's all I knew was just being a boy <laughs> and playing outside. So I think I, I tell my brothers every day, all the time, I'm like, I like literally, I don't think I'd be able to survive my job if it wasn't for you guys because we shit talk all the time, yeah. all the time. And I love it. It's so fun. It like, keeps it light. 
you know, you can't take life too seriously. And that's another way I connect with people. You know, we just, when they're too serious, I'll say something witty and uh, they won't even realize for a couple of seconds. And then they're like, wait a second. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Shut up. Well, and Jenna, and Jenna just, <laughs> so, to, just to pause for a moment, because you, you, whether you know you did it or not, you gave our listeners some great categorical things here that I want them to reflect on. So guys, if you're listening, write this down. What, what, what I hear, and Jenna, feel free to correct me you know, after I say this, if, if any of it doesn't make sense or doesn't jive, but what I hear and through my own studies of kind of self-disclosure and some of the research there is you do a good job of balancing really four domains, right? So there, when, when letting other people in or interacting with others, you do a good job of displaying your personal self, right? That's kind of you as a unique individual, some of your ideas, your emotions, and your values, there's our, our social self, um, which is kind of social roles and how you fit with others. That's you being able to kind of mess with them and, and talking some smack like we just talked about that. Uh, there's the cultural self. And that's not something that I think really has to have a role in, in coaching. That's kind of people's identification with anything that uh, might be spiritual or their social class or other grouping. This is from research done in the 90s. But then finally, there's this professional self. And that's where you, um, as you mentioned, Jenna, you get a display yourself as a subject matter expert to a degree. But the way I look at that is there's these four dimensions and we always kind of have to surf back and forth. There's times where we disclose something personal. There's times where we show different social sides of ourselves. There's times where, I mean, the cultural thing fits, right? If you're a coach from Ireland, or like you said, you have a Greek background. Like if you meet an athlete that comes from a Greek family, there's strong cultural bonds there. So that I bring these up because oftentimes when people say, well, how do I build buy-in with people? I'm like, listen, like there's so many different jumping points. If you just take the time and listen and dig, does, exactly. does what I said make sense, Jenna, or was I off on that? And feel exactly. free to say, okay. No, exactly. And then, you know, especially too with athletes, if, if you haven't done anything in their sport, they act like you're some foreign person. Like, Oh, they don't know. Like the pit crew guys are like, they've never been a pit crew guy. So, you know, they don't know. And you know, that's where, again, you have to display your education. You, you show, you know, your skill within their skill, you know, your skill is the human body. So, you know, movement, you know, coaching, you know, all of that. And part of that is connecting with them and all of the psychological factors. And it's such a huge part. It's, Seriously, I think I feel like we're just therapists all day, you know, and you're dealing with someone where you're trying to take the stressors they're creating in their own mind combined with environmental stressors and you're trying to make them better at what they do. So it's it's just so much fun. I feel like every single day it's a new puzzle you have to try to fix. No, so whether it's one thing or the next, it's like you have to take everything into consideration. Yep. And my next question actually comes from a listener um, and, it, and it gets a little bit serious here. So I apologize if it makes you feel uncomfortable, but she did ask a super valid question and it's not one we've addressed on the podcast yet, but it is one that people have to deal with. And everybody, what I'm about to say, like just, you know, think about the, the bigger picture here of, of what we're trying to do in guiding others. I want you to know that when you guys ask certain questions, I listen, but we also want to ask people like Jenna who have dealt with this. Jenna, so the, the listener said, and I'm going to paraphrase because it was a rather long email. Essentially, they're a female coach in the field and, you know, they, they try to make sure that they manage their appearance in terms of uh, wearing appropriate clothing. You know, they don't try to draw attention to themselves. They don't try to do anything in the workplace, um, but they have a hard time 
uh, dealing with, you know, athletes coming on to them and they feel like, you know, no matter what, even if I, I make it very clear and I walk away and, you know, ardently, I let them know that that's not appropriate. I'm trying to do my job. They're like, it, it, it happens. And she's like, you know, I've tried to do a lot of different things to continue to suppress uh, anything like, you know, I wear longer shorts or I wear this. I've talked to my bosses about it. And, I just feel really uncomfortable because I, I still don't know how to deal with it. Now, Jenna, and, and my, again, listeners, my wife wouldn't mind me saying this. Jenna, you're a very attractive woman. Uh, you're very good at what you do. But, you know, you've worked, you mentioned it several times, in a good old boy sport. You've worked around guys your whole life. I'm sure somebody has been inappropriate. What is your advice to other coaches, male or female or whatever, of how to deal with that and how to make sure that, like, you know, you shut it down, but you don't ruin the relationship because it could just be a moment right. of somebody being an idiot. You know, maybe they're just being it. You don't want to like, it's not like you want to affect, like depending on obviously if they do something really ridiculous, right? Then you shut it down. But just where do you walk that line? Would you mind kind of going into that? Quick break here for a moment to recognize our sponsor, Momentus. We've talked about it on previous episodes, but I want to make sure you guys understand that if you're interested in nutrition at all whatsoever. Momentus also has a blog on their website and we have dietitians from all over that are contributing information. And these are dietitians that have worked in the NBA, the NFL, even the fitness market. Guys, so no matter what you're into, there's something for you from an educational capacity on that blog at livemomentous.com. Also, if you guys are regular listeners and you're looking uh, you know, just for a product that you can give to guys and you don't have to worry about, okay, is this have banned substances? Does this have anything else I need to be on alert of? Momentus goes through some of the most rigorous testing procedures of any company I have ever seen. Not only are they NSF approved for sport, but they're also informed choice. They do tons of third-party testing, and they're constantly making sure that they're staying above board on all the latest and, or, or newest regulations and guidelines that come out. They're, they're absolutely obsessive about it. If you guys want to learn more, make sure to go to livemomentus.com backslash Brett. And you guys will get $20 off your first order by using code BRETT20 at checkout. Again, that's livemomentous.com backslash Brett. And just use the code BRETT20 at checkout. And you guys will get $20 off your first order. Always want to thank Momentous for the support that they give us. And now back to the podcast. Right. And that happens everywhere. Like you don't even understand how often it happens. And it's like, you know, if you sit here and you, you, you know, me to the situation and with every situation, like you're never going to get anywhere, no. you know? So there was, there's always lines crossed and I'm, I'm a very uh, a big tomboy, but I also like to be girly. And I used to try to suppress that all the time. And I, you know, I'm like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of always trying to be something I'm not because why? Because people are people, people are going to be people. Guys are guys. They check out anything that moves, let alone like a decent looking human being. So it's like, that happens. But part of what I do to, to battle it, I don't have that issue at all. I, I was coaching, you know, like 60 professional athletes and I would travel with them. I never had that issue. Nobody they, ever, I mean, nobody yeah, ever, try. nobody ever tried. To... No, they would try a hundred percent. They, they sit there and they're like, you know, it's like kids. They'll see what they can get. 
and you shut it down. Like I never went and oh, but so how, and so is doing this to me. But like, how, Jenna? I'm, I, and the reason I'm interrupting you because is because I want there are people that they just don't know how. Can you get specific on how you right. shut it down? Just so like because this this listener's scared of getting in trouble at work. And I'll be transparent. I saw this when when we'd have female interns uh, at, at one of my former places of business. There was a lot of cattiness. There was a physical therapist that thought every female intern was uh, doing this or doing that. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of that within staffs. There's some of that within athletes. Like just, you know, can you give us some more specific tips? And I'm sure you're getting there. I I rudely interrupted, but I just want to make sure that people like this feel super guided so that when they hear you, they can send it to friends that are dealing with the same thing. No, trust me. It happens all the time. I was in Vegas last weekend with a, a potential sponsor, a future sponsor, and someone followed me up the elevator and tried to break in my room. So trust me, this happens everywhere, whether it's within the company or people outside of the company or fans or whatever, like it's going to happen. And how I shut it down is I, I stand strong in everything I do. Like I would have loved for that guy to have actually made it in my room because I don't know who would have made it out alive. <laughs> Let's just say that. <laughs> but trying to basically stand your ground, like I don't run and tell on people. I yell at them right there and then. And not yell, you know, just like I, like I said, you have to be witty. I, I tell them to go F themselves in a very polite slash joking way so that they understand that it's, there's no chance. So if you give them hope or if you give them a little hee hee hee, like a giggle, no, I don't do that. You know, the human mind is the human mind. As soon as they see an opening, they'll keep pushing just like a little child. They want to keep pushing until they get what they want. I shut it down right away. I establish my dominance and I'm like, yeah, no, that'll never happen. (laughs) You know, or if like they come and they're knocking on my door, oh, can I borrow something? And they try to come in my room. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you're not coming in here. Uh, how's your wife doing? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I, I've you heard know, you I say just, that. I remember. I make it obvious. I remember. I actually loved when I remember that that first day I spent around you. Somebody said something to you, and I don't recall what it was. It doesn't matter. But that's exactly what you said to them, and I love that because it's very direct and indirect. It's saying, "Hey, don't don't play." Like I know you're in a right. committed relationship, and I'm letting you know that like that doesn't fly with me. But you also you didn't blow some whistle, right? Like that person kind of laughed exactly. it off and was like, Jenna, exactly. you, they, I, that person was like, Jenna, you ass. And they walked away and that relationship was still intact. But now that person had understood a boundary. Exactly. Cause you don't want to be too much the other way because I'm not going to draw energy to that. You know, I get hit on all the time. I don't give a shit. Like me spending time talking about it, you know, and if I go and tell on, you know, how many hours a day am I sitting here battling stuff? I'm bringing, I'm giving energy to it. I have too much other good stuff. I'm helping people walk when they have never walked or when, you know, like there's, there's so many other good things that I'm doing in my day that I don't want to draw energy to that. So I, I talk to girls about this and dads. I try to tell them to, to teach their daughters. Like we need to make our girls stronger. I'm not a freaking victim. Like if anything, like I said, that guy in Vegas, he would have been the victim. <laughs> so just trying to be strong and like, don't worry about stepping on toes when you do tell people to go F themselves if they're being inappropriate because they don't give a shit about how you feel at that moment. So why should you care about how they feel or, you know, if you're going to say something wrong? So try not to be timid, you know, as soon as someone's inappropriate, that professional line, it's not there. They've crossed it. So you don't have to sit there and take what they're saying, you know, just be you and do what you need to do to make yourself comfortable. Yeah, I like what you said about the the victim. There are two words that I can't stand. I hate the word victim and I hate the word entitlement. And I think I think most oh, people would agree that we kind of live in this 
victim like culture now and everybody wants to be you know fake my friend john murphy uh he's a lawyer at bnsf he always says you know fake rage is the new black and it's so true i remember i was looking at something one time one of my athletes came over to my house and he was showing me this tesla right and uh, he had posted something online about it having zero emissions and the footprint. And somebody was like, oh, yeah, all the emissions were created during or all the emissions were during the creation of that car and this and that. I'm like, bro, now we're getting mad about stuff like this. And in the morning, yeah. my wife will have the Today Show on and some reporter drummed up some tweet. I, I, this guy had raised like a million dollars for some charity. I can't remember what it was and it doesn't matter to the point. But some reporter found a tweet that he made when he was 16 and went uh, viral with it. And then this guy lost all of his sponsorship and it was like 20 years, uh, you know, it was 20 years ago or something like that. And I just thought like, has that reporter raised a million dollars for something? Now, of course there's lines here and whatever, but everybody's a friggin' victim now. Like, what do you think about that kind yep. of culture and what does it do into the, pro- not just our profession, but professionals in general? I mean, I can't say those words too, the victim and the entitlement, you know, no one's willing to put in the work, but everyone thinks they, they should, they're owed something like I put in the work, you know, I, I see people who have put in the work. I've, you know, see people that live with nothing and they act like they have everything, you know? So just the perception of, of our society right now is very skewed. You know, everyone's again, they should, they're entitled and they don't want to do anything in return and they don't want to live by a certain standard. So I just, I don't know. I cannot stand that. It drives me nuts because I don't know. I feel like you need to put in the work and do the time in order to get what you want out of your life. So no one, no one's going to give you anything. And I don't think that people should give you anything. You know, you put in, I don't know. I just think it's so important that develops the character of who you are is to, to own your life. So are you saying that, you know, you feel like people that claim the victim card, are people that really are more resentful and they feel like really they want something else or they're not happy with something or they feel insecure like in, in that respect or what do you mean by that? How does that tie in? Definitely. I just, you know, I don't like being the victim because you're drawing attention to something that's not important. You know, it's, I don't know. There's so many things that happen and people go through so many things and, you know, random things can happen environmentally that, you know, can take away something in your life. But you just have to keep trucking along. Like being a victim and drawing energy energy to that is just taking time away from you being a productive member of society or like doing something cool with your family or making memories with your family. You know, there's if you sit there and harp on everything you do that's negative, then that's going to be your whole life and your mindset. So mindset's a huge thing. If something happens, I deal with it and that's it. And then, you know, if I see someone else struggling with the same thing, maybe I'll give them the cues of what I use to, to get through it. But to sit there and just go over it again and again and again and be a victim, it's, it's just a waste of time. Yeah. And no. it is, it's just someone being, it's just someone being egotistical or not knowing themselves enough to know why they're doing it or why they're sad with the situation. Yeah. It's a way to funnel attention. And again, the, 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 this can go a lot of ways. Are there some people that are actually victims of horrendous crimes and things like that? Yes. That's not what Jenna and I are talking about. We're talking about people right. that consistently pull that card almost as if it's reflexive. Now, Jenna, one thing, and, and I think you and I share this as Real well. Real quick though, just so I don't, I'm like, I'm no, going to lose ahead. this if you By say something. But I mean, you're, I love failures. You know, I, that's what makes you who you are. So if you fail, learn from it. If something happened in your life, it's only negative if you don't learn from the situation. So like, you know, everything that happens, everything negative that's happened in my life, it's, 
it's made me who I am. And it's, it's introduced me to people that I needed to meet to, in order to see certain things and to learn certain things and to progress and grow as a person. So, I mean, there's, there's no victim in anything. I feel like if you don't learn from something, yeah, you're a victim of your own mind, but learn from everything. Like people go through things and like, I don't know, God or the higher being they're they're trying to show you something. So if you're just closed minded and you sit there and sulk, you're, you're missing the point, you know, life is so much fun and there's so much to see and to learn, but if you shut it out, you'll never get anywhere. So then what's your most valuable failure? What do you can, and, and I know the most questions are really hard, right? But like what you said, you love failure. What is one of, what is something you consider one of your most valuable failures? A moment where you're like, thank God I went through that. Oh my God, there's so many. That's fine. Just share, <laughs> like, just, so that's many. okay. Just share my, one. It doesn't have to be the one, but share one. So, you know, my parents were really strict. I would cry if I got a B in, in high school. And then when I went, went away to school, I'm like, wow, I, I don't have a curfew anymore. <laughs> so I live with my brother and I let my grades slide a little bit in undergrad to where I had like a 3.2. Well, grad school is very competitive to get into. So I sat there and you're, say 600 people apply, they pick 20. And so I only applied to a couple of schools. So I was waitlisted. And I just remember thinking like, what the hell, how can I... I applied like I didn't realize that I could maybe not get accepted so it was such a kick in the ass to be like oh my god I'm waitlisted I'm a failure you know so I I had volunteered for everything I did after school programs with kids I did cadaver dissections I would host them on the weekend just for free just so I can learn more started doing massage I started retaking classes just so I can get a better grade to raise my GPA for the next time I applied like it was it was such a fire under my ass to see like, holy shit, I, I failed right here. And I could possibly not do what I want to do in life because of one little thing. And I didn't like that. I didn't like someone telling me I couldn't do something. So it just, it gave me this drive. And I, I've always had drive, but you know, when someone tells me I can't do something, <laughs> I'm driven a little bit harder. So I don't, it, it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I thought it was such a failure. So it made me try even harder at every single thing I was doing so, I mean, it just, it made me who I am and I love it. Yeah, I definitely see that. Although I'm going to call bullshit because I know a lot about you and I know that, <laughs> I, I know that there's no way that that experience in grad school, I, I have no doubt that that was a valuable failure, but I actually think there's something, I think there's something else, right? Like I, again, like consider this, right? Like I, I remember talking to you when you first moved to LA and I understand that this constitutes what people think is a failure, right? Like whether that, uh, like, you know, we've all had bad relationships and those aren't failures as much as they are learning points or whatever. So however you want to frame this, but I remember talking to you when you went to LA and you lived in like, what wasn't the Airbnb, there were like cockroaches and it was rotted and was, maggots. Yeah. And this wasn't like at the beginning of your career. This was how many months ago? Yeah, this was probably six months ago. Right. So, and, and follow my logic here, right? Because it's something I think we share in common. You went from, you know, overseeing this massive overhaul in NASCAR, having all this funding and support, a good amount of publicity too, to driving across the country. I remember you stopped by my house, you know, in your Jeep Wrangler with your cat and its litter box and everything in there. Um, you know, the first time I called you, you're like, yeah, like you're, you're in this apartment that sounds like the friggin' Winchester house. And I remember I could relate because once my, you know, I, I'd worked at Nebraska and Southern Illinois and athletes performance. And then I went out on my own and I remember people would come to watch. They'd be like, Hey, can I shadow you when I moved to Atlanta? 
And some of them were surprised because they'd see me pull up. They'd see me pull up in my car and I'd pull all this equipment out of my car, training guys out of a local high school, setting everything up, breaking everything down. And one of them was like, yo, like, I'm confused. Like, is everything okay? And I'm like, what do you mean? And he goes, well, you've done all these things. You're 13 years into your career. Like, you, you kind of just look like me. It's almost like you're getting started. I'm like, well, that's what sometimes career transitions look like, man, when you go out on your own and you roll the dice and, and you do this stuff. Yeah. Like, again, there's no overnight, like nothing's owed to you. What are you talking about? And I think that confuses, exactly. it confuses people because those, those things show them a reflection of themselves. But I am going to call bullshit on your failure or at least like, was there at least a time where you laid in that bed in the maggot infested whateverness <laughs> of LA surrounded by some of the interesting people in LA thinking, oh fuck. Yeah, I mean, I Airbnb'd for a while before I actually settled on an apartment, and I've been through some things. <laughs> like, I've seen some things out here. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's true. I guess I don't even look at it like that. But I came out here not knowing what was going to happen. You know, I mean, I moved everything. I, I drove across the country not knowing what was going to happen. I have my own practice. Like, nothing's guaranteed, but I, I know how hard I'm willing to work. And I, I know, I mean, I'm paying my student loans, everything. So, it was scary, but anytime I get comfortable, I try to create that fear. Like I love new situations where I have to, I have to be scared in order to get out of it. And I have to decide and, you know, look at the situation and assess things and see what the best way to handle things are, you know? So I love that. And that's, it's scary as shit. Cause I remember that, that place, I can't even believe it. There's maggots everywhere. And I'm like, what's happening here? I'm like, my cat's eating these maggots. I'm <laughs> he's going to get sick. I like, don't know what's going on. Were you like, were you deadlifting? You have a, you have a trap bar. And, and by the way, remind yep. me, cause I want to go back to why I want to know why you need to create fear. That's interesting to me, but you had a video cause you know, so many people are like, Oh, I can't train or I can't do this cause of this situation that was it in the maggot infested room where you were also trap bar deadlifting super quiet because you lived in like a multi-floor complex and like there was nowhere to work out. Like, tell me about that. What the hell is going on with you? No, I'm very like, again, no entitlement. And like, I don't like excuses. You can do whatever you, like, I'm the one at the, the airport with my suitcase in hand doing like carries up the stairs, you know, like I'm taking the stairs instead of the, the escalator. Like you can, <laughs> that was my apartment in Marina del Rey, but I, I try to make fitness available. I have a very, very crazy life and schedule. And I'm like, Hey, if I can only get this in, if I put this trap bar in my kitchen, then I'm going to put this trap bar in my kitchen. <laughs> and I like that environment. I like having weights. I have stall bars on my walls. So I'm doing pull-ups and ab raises and back bends and all this crazy stuff. But I want it there because I want to be able to do it when I can. So if, I'm not going to create a stressor and be like, oh, I should have done it. Oh, I should have went to the gym. No, just do it. You know. So I just try to create the environment I want to live in and just do what I say I'm going to do because I know what I need in my life. But why do you talk to me about why you feel like you need to create fear? And as somebody, because I'm somebody that I'm, I'm interested in what makes people tick, right? And I have some idiosyncrasies, yeah. way too many. Um, but like, that's a really interesting one to me. Why do you have to be, what, is, what does fear mean to you? One, just so we can all get on the same page of what you mean exactly by needing to create fear. What does it do for you? Um, and then, yeah, well, like, what does it mean to you? And what does it do for you exactly? So again, just assessing it as like, as the human mind, we get lazy, you know, even with exercises, like subconsciously, we, the human body is so lazy. It's just trying to take the path of least resistance. So when I get comfortable, comfortable, I don't like that because you start to 
slack a little bit. And, you know, and it, these are subconscious things where I'm obsessive <laughs> with detail and I don't like to just sit back and do the same things I've always done. So creating that fear and having that fire of, you know, that healthy bit of fear, that, that little bit of anxiety that drives you and motivates you to want more. I, if I don't feel that, I create it. You know, I, I put myself in a situation where I don't want to be there and I know I don't want to be there, but I know it'll be good for me. And I, I love it. And I love being in those situations and trying to handle it in the best way I can. Do you feel like you deal with a certain level of um, anxiety even, you know, in terms of, and not like anxiety, like, oh, I'm sitting against the wall, you know, rocking back and forth, not to, not to poke fun at any form of like anxiety or quote unquote mental illness or whatever. But I know for me, like, I know I definitely have anxiety. Um, that was something I oh, had it, sure. as a teenager and it wasn't like, oh God, sweaty palms groups. I've just <laughs> always been somebody that has been. And I think mine, and I'm just trying to disclose here a little bit so I can guide you on the question in terms of what I mean by this. Um, I, and I've talked about it on the podcast before. I had, you know, grandparents that died early. My parents got divorced. I saw a lot of weird shit. And like as a kid, I tried to process it all. And I was probably like super serious as a kid. I just remember like I felt like, oh my God, there's not much time left. I need to do this. And if I don't do that, I, I never had comparison with others as much as like, I felt like I, I wanted to go in the ground knowing that I put my all out there. And that has always compelled some level of anxiety to the point where I've even had to, I talk fast to begin with, but I've had to monitor that. And just listening to you, you're, you have such a unique and wonderful mind where I can tell you have so many damn ideas in your head. I wonder what your character would have looked like if you were animated in that Pixar film inside out. Cause I feel like you would be like <laughs> hyped up in a Mario Kart thing, bouncing off the walls, just shooting shells at everybody. What is it like inside your brain and how has that anxiety served you? It's so true. I actually, I, uh, someone crashed into my Jeep and the I'm Mario in a, a little rental car and I was talking about how fun it's been to Mario Kart all day long. <laughs> So yeah, that is me in real life. But um, I don't know that that fear and that anxiety, it's not stop, you know, and that again, I have so many people that are like, Oh, I, everything is easy for you. No, it's not. It's not easy. And it's not for sure. And it's not I, I, I 100%. I'm entitled to this, you know, stuff happens. But that fear and that anxiety, like if you can use it and you can be in control of your own brain and your own thoughts, you can use it as a motivation and you can use it to be healthy in your life. And I love that fear and anxiety. And I know that I'm not always secure, but I know that I'll put in work to either learn something or, or talk to the guy that can help me or, you know, so you have to be able to understand as a human, there's always a way to get out of a situation. There's always a way to better yourself in a situation. So if you don't let that situation control you and control your mind, I mean, the human mind is unstoppable. So I just, I look at everything like that and studying it, it from that way. And yeah, my freaking brain is nonstop all the time. Ideas, ideas, so <laughs> and then human movement too. I can't get it out of my brain. Like I book my flight based on what side of my neck is tight so that I can stretch it while I sleep. It's real crazy. It's what makes it interesting. You're right. You're right. And like, and I always think that it's important to talk about these things. Cause like, I can't stand motivational speakers that, you know, just it's all positivity and this and that. I'm a big believer and I talk about this in my book as well. And it, it's like, you got to acknowledge your dark side. You got to acknowledge dark days. You've got to acknowledge things. I think like, 
I think our vices are sometimes our virtues and our virtues are sometimes our vices. And, you know, it's all about how you manage that and scale that. So no doubt that anxiety, that resting anxiety has served you well in many circumstances. But Jenna, how do you slow that down sometimes? Because even people listening to this, right, in this podcast, we've covered your adventures with NASCAR. We've talked about managing, you know, innuendo and, and stuff like that from, from uh, members of the opposite sex, maintaining professionalism, your ethics, your values, your journeys. So much gets packed into what has been 52 minutes so far. People can't slow down and they just go on to the next podcast and on to the next podcast and then they don't get the full benefit of the moment or the resource. So what do you do to slow down and make sure you don't make that same mistake and you actually live kind of in the now? Is there a go-to strategy? And please don't, please don't say meditation that you sit down there. Like, I love, <laughs> I love that that works for some people and I encourage whatever works, but I feel like that's kind of just become the answer, right? Like, what do, what do you really do? Yeah, but again, just like with the fads and stuff, people don't even know what the frick meditation really is. So, you know, become one with the universe. No, I'm just, so I look at it again like a human body, physiologically what's happening. So when people say meditation, basically it's the rest and digest state of the human body. So when I was younger, I used to study the Buddhist culture and, you know, they could with their mind, they would sit there and meditate <laughs> and they would imagine all their blood on one side of their body. And then if they would cut the one side that wasn't, you know, they wouldn't bleed. So I'm like, if that if the mind is that powerful to be able to do that and to be able to control your heart rate, like just by thinking about it, you can lower your heart rate 10 to 20 beats by trying to breathe and relax with your diaphragm. So like if we're that powerful, then I mean, we could do so many things. So I, I bring that into everything. So taking that whole state of meditation as like the rest and digest the parasympathetic state of the human body that's where you release hormones that help you recover and restore and get your thoughts together and get that clarity. So it's not even the meditation. It's just time alone without stimulus. You know, those float tanks, like the salt tanks where you're sitting there and you're in a dark room and you're just floating and you're to yourself. You know, everyone's so about, let's hang out with each other. We got to be here. We got to be there together. Blah, blah, blah. I like being by myself. If you need to step back and take a breath, and just gather your thoughts, whatever, wherever it is for you. But I love being outside. I like, you know, the fresh air. I love being in nature. I love hiking. Just the feeling it gives me to breathe that fresh air and to just sit there by myself and listen to nature. Like, it's, it's the best thing in the entire world. So it's finding your escape and whatever makes you happy and your heart happy. And then doing that and making sure that you give yourself time just like you give your clients and your patients and your, you know, your job. Because you, that time is so important for your well-being. You know, your that state of collecting and, and clarifying yourself is gonna it sets you up for your health for the rest of the year, for the rest of your life. You know, that's it's all based on the human body. So, if I hear you correctly, just to consolidate again for everybody, you like being outside. You like float tanks. You like being alone. Were those the big three? Did I miss one there? Yep. No, it's, it's basically, medi like, like I hate the word meditation. No, 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 but too, I mean you, don't like know, what, know what, what it you, is. Yeah. I guess it's like reflecting, you know, like reflection. If you don't, if you're never away from your phone, if you're never isolated, whether whatever, you know, environment you're in, then you can't ever reflect and, and gather your thoughts and correlate things. So, so how do you just, reflect? It's kind of that. How do you reflect? Yeah. That's what I'm asking. I'm asking I, you. 
so I step back and I look at situations. I, I try to just go over things that are happening in my life. You know, if there's something that's negative, why, you know, what am I doing to make the situation negative? Can I fix it? Can I do other things? So I guess it's combining the stuff that I learn and what I read and what I teach and then gathering and looking at stuff that's happening in my life and just, you know, going over everything in my head. So it's important to, to have that alone time and reflection because otherwise you're just going and you don't even know what you're doing or why you're doing it. Yep. No, that answers a question. And sorry for harping on you. I just always try. I know you have so much going on and you want to get so much information. No, you're out, good. But, you, you, you help me. But I know keep at, things at the organized. End, right. At the end of the day, the listeners want to know they're tuning in to hear what like Jenna does, what helps them. Because the thing I found is that everybody is looking for somebody to relate to because we're all weirdos. We're all weirdos and we all have different yep. things that relate. And I, one of my friends, Nate Palin said something great in a presentation. I think it was called a Ranger's Creed. He was a army ranger or is your lifelong ranger. Um, and he said, you know, you can sleep when you're dead, but you can't do much else. And, you know, some people take that as like this hustle culture thing, which that's not what Nate meant. Uh, it was, you know, like sometimes you got to make sure that you're taking the time and really discerning your values and you're not tempting fate in the wrong ways and you're staying centered in whatever makes you tick so you can make the best damn decisions you can in the moment. Now, uh, you, exactly. t- you touched on not worrying about failure because there's beautiful failures and uh, that's just a reality. And I think there's so much more people could learn from you, Jenna. That's our time today, though. But like, where can people reach out to you so that they can connect? And guys, I would highly recommend it. Go visit Jenna. She's an open book. Um, You know, just make sure as we talk about on the podcast all the time, be respectful when you reach out, lead with value. Don't just be like, hi, what can you teach me? Um, But Jenna, where, where can they reach you? And we'll put it in the show notes as well. So don't worry about spelling it. So I'm really big on social media. I try to put out a lot of education out there and I, I try to interact with everyone. My social media is my name. So J E N A underscore Gatsis, G A T S E S. And then uh, scientificfitness.com is my website. I try to bring the science to fitness. And uh, yeah, just again, I like how you say, lead, you know, contact her with intent try to, you know, I love teaching people things, but I'm not just going to hand you all my education. I want you to, to have some value and to have that initiative. So it's important for me to see that you're a go-getter also, but yeah, reach out anytime, uh, email to it's Jenna at scientificfitness.net. Um, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to answer questions and to shadow or have people shadow me. I love that stuff. Perfect. Well, Jenna, I really appreciate you and thanks for taking the time and thanks for letting me play hardball with you a little bit. Um, you're, you're an awesome person and somebody I feel really blessed to have in my life. I appreciate you and I can't wait to see what's next for you. I appreciate you having me and I think I feel the same way about you. You've been so, so great in my life and you know it. We reach out and talk to each other all the time about just the crazy things we go through and I appreciate everything you've helped me with and all the advice you've given me. I appreciate it. Guys, make sure, again, support Jenna, support the podcast, please. You guys sharing it. Um, support our sponsor, Momentus. Without them and without you spreading the word, there's no podcast because these things aren't free to produce. Um, they take time, they take money, and it's only through the support of audience members like you that people hear Jenna's message, uh, that other people find out about the podcast, and that we can keep it going. So your, your help is appreciated. It just takes a couple moments. All you have to do is click the share button and send it to a buddy, um, You know, and, and that's much appreciated. Until next time guys this is the art of coaching podcast brett bartholomew signing off wait 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 before you go 
Glad I caught you. Listen, there's a lot of people that think that I just have social media, podcasts, and, and YouTube. Guys, there are so many more resources uh, if this stuff interests you. Um, first of all, if you haven't checked out the book, I'd be honored if you would. It's on Amazon worldwide. It's called Conscious Coaching. Uh, we have a free field guide. There's so many resources I try to provide online, free eBooks, free downloads. If you just go to artofcoaching.com, check out the free resources. There's also online courses. So whether you're interested in the coaching, communication, psychology side, we have an online course called Bought In. Uh, that is a great resource. It's research-backed, and it applies to every profession. You do not have to be a strength and conditioning coach. Literally, I use the term strength coach and athlete because that's what I do. But just like you read uh, an article or a book by a former Navy SEAL or somebody that owns a company in Silicon Valley, all these things are relatable to other fields. Also, if you're looking more into career management, whether that's you trying to learn more about marketing, contract negotiation, networking, resume writing, all these things that go into the messiness of trying to create and cultivate a sustainable career, we have a course for that as well. It's called Valued. Both of those are found on artofcoaching.com. Remember, the podcasts and all these other things, you know, they're I can only share so much and we try to do it in so many other mediums. So please, I'd be honored at your support. We try to make sure and donate a percentage of the proceeds every year to either fight Alzheimer's, uh, cancer research. We, uh, we donate to local police forces. We try to do a lot of different things and we can only do that with your support. Thanks again for listening to the podcast and I hope you enjoy those resources.